WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa. An agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. Gluten-free hard cider made from 100% New York State apples. New York State produced beer, wine, and spirits. And live music this Friday and Saturday and every Friday and Saturday through October. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. The Delaware County Department of Public Works annual Clean Sweep Chemical Disposal Day for businesses and farms, Friday, September 22nd, and for residential households, Saturday, September 23rd. Registration required 607-865-6474, 607-865-6474. Click the Clean Sweep link at WIOXradio.org for more details. You're listening to WIOX Roxbury, your live and local soundtrack to summer in the Catskills when you explore the towns and villages of Delaware County, Andes, Bovina, Fleischmann's, Margaretville, and Roxbury for local music, art, food, shopping, swimming, hiking, biking, fishing, or whatever your imagination desires. So stay tuned and stick around. Find links to summer events in the Catskills at WIOXradio.org. Good evening. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20. 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is From the Forest. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. Ryan's out, but we got a familiar voice in the studio, Mr. Zane Lawyer. Zane, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. Um, you know, enjoying this weather, that's for sure. Yeah, it's been nice, huh? Yeah, it's like uh, usually when September comes, the light switch hits. 
Um, but this year it was like, I don't know, August 7th or 9th. And uh, summer faded off and the remnants of fall arrived. And I don't know about that. I just looked at the weekly outlook. I might get back up in the 80s next week. Yeah, I know. I saw the, the holiday weekend there. But you know what? It's going to be all right because I'm going <laughs> to be, be okay. uh, I'm gonna be out on a lake and a boat for the holiday weekend. So I, I'm okay with screen. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's going to be too... When you're fishing, it's too... Uh, sun's not good. You want a little shade. Yeah. But I'll be jumping in. Whatever. Nice. Taking a dip. Hey, got to shower somehow. <laughs> Keep a bar of soap on the boat. Excellent. <laughs> what have you been up to? Uh, this past weekend, I was cutting a bunch of honeysuckle. Uh, clearing a rock wall um, where there's two pairs that I want to open up a little bit more. Because I'm going to prune them in the winter and they're right next to a old dying ash tree that i want to take down so i was clearing out an area so i can lay that ash tree over the rock wall because it can't go the other way and then i'm gonna cut that up and split it and that'll be some firewood there all right this year's wood or are you all done uh this year's wood um still still going um so i gotta fill get enough for kind of two wood stoves one used throughout the winter and one used maybe intermittently so mm. um so i'm trying to i have a lot of wood stack that's just not ready yet um but uh yeah i'm gonna make more of those uh holtz housings that working i think it's great i mean it's, it's still i think it's great because i can build it up and then it's just a big bucket where i can just bring wood to it and just throw it in it and mm. i don't have to think about stacking it at all and it's worked really well well, good. As long as it dries, yep. which they're designed to do, right? Yeah, I've been checking them, and uh, yeah, it's pretty dry. I mean, it's it's getting tons of rain on it, and uh, the top pieces are still dry, and I imagine the middle and bottom hmm. don't get as much rain as well, but it's working. Things are cracking and splitting the wood, um, the grain, so yeah. Cool. But it's just easy. That's what you want to say? Yeah. It's just no, not a lot of thinking with it. but Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Spring is still my, winter spring is still my firewood time. Yeah, so I cleared around this tree and I'm waiting for some nice weather where I can do all that in one day. So yeah, wait not, till it's uh, eight, 88 myself. degrees on Sunday and, <laughs> yeah, and then, get started. then get started. Started, uh, yeah, 12 o'clock. Uh, uh, I've been seeing a lot of wood splitters running this last week. I think yeah. the, that last little cold spell got people thinking like, uh-oh. Yeah, I've seen a lot of wood deliveries around and... <clears throat> yeah. Nah, it's too late, guys. You're not going to have dry wood. <laughs> Sorry to say it. <laughs> oh, well. well, um today's show, um well, Zane's on. Zane Lawyer, he's a, if you haven't heard him before, he's a Catskill Forest Association's education arborist. Uh, that's also where I work uh, in my day job. And uh we titled the show uh Mind Mindset of an Emergent Hunter. Yeah. So, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> Well, uh, I am an emergent hunter, um, late onset hunter. Adult onset hunter. It's Adult, like a disease. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, so, got a, you got a disease. <laughs> so I turned 33 this month, August 15th, and I'm getting into bow hunting this year for the first time. Uh, never grew up in a hunting family, uh, never went hunting, um, but uh, working at this job and living in the area, it's uh, been something that I've been thinking about for a long time. And um, now I'm actually uh, going to do it. Wow. 
Well, we're going to get into that. Yeah. What, what tipped the tides? A lot of and, questions. And, and why now and all that. But, um, yeah, so I guess let's, let's I mean, you've uh, broken away from the, the patrilineal descent here. Uh, that's how most, you know, most most people learn from their fathers and grandfathers yeah. and you know the outliers are learning from a mother and or getting into it on your own mm-hmm. um things are changing you know there's a lot of, a lot of you know a lot of female hunters out there now uh, my wife's one of them she's she's killer um you know she feeds our house just as much as i do there's no doubt and um so did anyone in your family hunt an uncle a uh anybody yeah, so my uncle uh, Carl, he married uh, my aunt Susie, my my father's sister, and he is a bow hunter. He's been a bow hunter for a long time. Um, he tried to get his his daughter Kaylee, my cousin, into bow hunting. Um, she's more of a fisherman, but mm-hmm. I don't think she took to bow hunting or any type of rifle hunting. Um, but so he's he's a bow hunter, and and what really precipitated uh, me doing this was. Uh, uh, talking to him about my interest in it and he just spur the moment at a little family get together said well i'll give you my bow and you can start with that and it gives me an excuse to get a new compound <laughs> bow for my season those bow hunters man they're always looking for an excuse to buy the next brand new bow on the market so he yeah he handed his hand me his bow uh went and picked it up later time but um yeah i got it free it's a matthews venture compound bow um, from what I've heard, it's you know it's one of the better bows out there. Matthews is a very uh, famous brand. Yeah, I shoot a Matthews. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a eight year old bow, um, and uh, yeah, I mean it's it's really neat. I, I took it to a outfitter shop and got it uh, sized for me on the draw strength. It's like fifty pounds on it um, just to start, and uh, it feels great. I've been shooting with it, and uh, yeah, it's. It's neat. I I couldn't thank him anymore. I mean, I I was so happy that he he offered it to me. So wow, yeah. Okay, so an uncle got you um, kind of involved. You you were already curious. Um, were you fishermen before this? No, not no? really. Not since I was a kid, and then never really seriously. No. It's funny when you look at the the spread of outdoorsmen. You know, if you're a trapper, you're generally also a real good hunter and a real good fisherman if you're a hunter you're likely to be also a real good fisherman fishermen are just fishermen if you're only a fisherman it's that for whatever reason you know um, i mean it's not a hard and fast rule Mm -hmm. but in general in general if you talk to a trapper he's also a hunter and a fisherman if you talk to a hunter he's also a fisherman and um if you talk to a fisherman they're not necessarily a hunter or trapper. Not necessarily. Hmm. Um, and you, you skipped that. You bypassed fishing. <laughs> Was I supposed to? I don't know. I mean, or, 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 I guess that's kind of my question. Were you a fisherman? Oh, I was not. I would not consider myself a fisherman. Okay, so I would say that you're even more of an outlier now. Yeah, you're fascinating. You need to be a studied here. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll get into it, but it's, it's, you know. Getting that bow for free, really, you know, you step up to the plate with something like that, and you want to yeah. uh, take care of it, and you want to use it wisely. And um, okay, let's say it wasn't a free, um, 
a free buy-in to get you, you know, get you involved. You think you would have, you know, made the purchase on your own or, or found one or you were that I, curious enough to... I probably would have bought a rifle exactly. or anything, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a nice rifle and uh, uh, hunt with a rifle, yeah. Okay. So... Which you can still do. Well, you're not, yeah. you're not totally subject just to a bow, um, but slow, slow steps. True, yeah, true. Slow steps. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know what that bow would usually cost, um, imagine be at least like three hundred dollars oh way more oh yeah okay well oh way more uh, yeah um i don't know that model i mean it's eight years old but it's replacement um you know anything in the matthews lineup you're probably looking at minimum eight hundred dollars maybe more oh, wow. um and that's bare bones that's before you put the sight on it before you uh get a rest for it a mm-hmm. quiver arrows all that adds up and either easily can spend fifteen hundred dollars or more on a brand new setup yeah. and then beyond you can go way more than that too yeah it came with a quiver it came with a set of arrows different um uh, weighted arrows um came with um a sight on it and a release mm-hmm. um oh great so that and a case little uh felt kind of bag case i mean all those add-ons were easily a hundred dollars a piece or more so yeah and then going to the outfitters and getting those uh arrows refletched um you know getting it sized though and then getting my license as well it it was really like oh yeah it up really quick (laughs) yeah what'd you pay for the license 117 bucks uh for the uh, license yeah i mean probably that uh actually no it was like 55 i think for a hunting license no. Yeah, must have spent more than that. It must have been. Ah, it doesn't matter. Well, with the tags and everything, tags were altogether like $97, so. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, so it was definitely yeah, more yeah. than $100 leaving the Outfitters uh, mm-hmm. a couple times, so. That'd be you. And I still got, uh, I don't know, I might have to buy some uh, camo and stuff, but I don't, I think I'm all set, pretty much all set. Cool. Cool. Yeah, we'll get into all that, too. Um, great. Well, there any other hobbies in your life that you think may have uh, led you towards this, or it was just a sudden spur of, of education and, and knowledge, new knowledge of, and a new interest? Appetite. Appetite. I like to cook. Oh, okay. I learned how to cook from my mother, and I've worked in past jobs where I was cooking in different capacities and, and talking with like chefs. and uh, So I love to cook at home. I love to use a lot of different ingredients. Do things really simple preparation. Um, so, what really is motivating me is that you know, cooking with it, cooking with the meat, using it in roasts or steaks or stews and all those different things. I think that would be the coolest. So that that what's what really motivates me. Okay, is, uh, getting it in the kitchen, expand yeah. the palate. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, I mean our our house. It's I'm not gonna say every night, but. More nights than not, more than half. It's it's usually a wild game sponsored dinner. Yeah. Something that we've caught or or shot. Um, yeah, that and um, just getting into the woods more, um, and uh, just learning, you know, about what's going on in, in in the woods and watching the deer and how they operate and you know just trying to think like your prey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, you're going to learn. Um, you're really in one with the woods, you know, when you're hunting. It's not just being in the woods, but it's also you're paying attention to everything about the woods. You know, you're learning about and paying attention to the wind. Mm-hmm. Not even, not just the prevailing wind, but the wind at your location, the swirls, 
um, the thermals rising and falling and at dusk and dawn um, very closely in tune with the weather and temperature mm-hmm. changes in five degrees mean mean could mean a lot um, things that normal you know I don't know rest of the year I don't really pay attention to but that time of year I do fall is, is a you know as I think about it I can I can feel fall and it's not because I feel cold it's because I can sense with all of my senses in the deer woods fall mm-hmm. and uh, it's an amazing amazing thing you'll learn I mean if you're paying attention the wood is the woods are just giving you information all the time they're just shouting things at you but you're not always attuned to seeing it um, and that's what's interesting to me because I can ID trees really well I can ID you know trees based on the smallest part of their plants but it's looking at other kind of impressions and the landscape like deer tracks or um, buck rubs and trying to put a picture together of the behavior that was going on there um, yeah. trying to paint a picture in space and in time of, of just what's going on and, and that's really neat that's where you know the woods kind of tell a story there well if you're into puzzles which um, I am I do uh, I think that's one of the reasons that draws me to deer hunting is, is it's another thing another puzzle you gotta try to figure it out you're trying to, yeah, because, yeah, that's a neat way to put it. So, I got to ask you, why straight to deer? The mystique, you know, it's, I mean, Ryan always says the uh, almighty white-tailed deer. I mean, you just read a little of the history and how long they've been around. And, um, you know, I've just seen them all the time growing up and, yeah, well, that to me is is hunting. You're hunting white-tailed deer, in North America. Um, yeah, I never really, I don't know, never really uh, considered smaller game. Now I am considering, you know, doing uh, hunting rabbits and uh, turkeys. But it's it's the deer really that um, I don't know. It's just uh, worth going after. You know. Well, there's no doubt that um, if you're successful, yeah, yeah, for your pounds per time, yeah, um, you're going to be in better favor with deer than anything else. Yeah. So yeah, that why deer is you know that's the question. Good. That's the answer. Good. All right. Well, this is from the forest every Wednesday, six to seven p.m. We talk a different forest-related topic. Tonight we're talking mindset of an emergent hunter. Zane uh, is 33 years old and just this year decided he's going to try to pick up a bow and bring home a deer yeah gonna go after it gonna go after it have you been uh has this changed your summer at all have you been trying to learn and pay attention to deer at all absolutely just thinking about it especially you know where i where i rent it's 10 acres and i have just been focused on what the deer are doing doing in that 10 acres where they're coming in where they're sticking around where they're leaving um i've placed game cameras all around and and moved them all around learning where they're spending the most time um i'm starting to recognize particular deer um and uh yeah i mean it's it's and i have some spots that i've actually um are gonna sit in or when i go to hunt so just putting all those things together Mm -hmm. um and uh what you know what got me noticed uh noticing the deer in the landscape was when i first moved in there last september and i was pruning their apple trees and cutting down some uh in the early spring uh some firewood trees and i put the you know material on the ground and the next morning all the buds would be um, browsed and i started to get 
the sense of the pattern that when I would take down a tree, the deer would come uh, and browse the buds. And I thought that was really neat that, um, you know, I was doing things in the woods that was bringing them around as well. And I remember coming out one morning and there was probably like a group of seven of them. And they were all browsing the buds that I had cut down the day before. And um, I got probably in like 40 yards near them and they weren't scared of me. I mean, thinking back on it now, I, I know it was a time where there was not a lot of food in the woods. They were probably, you know not as uh, alert since they're kind of hungry starving maybe um i don't know but uh they seemed really tame oh in early spring there's no seasons uh, yeah. within several months of there so they haven't been chased there's uh, no guard is down right yeah so it was interesting that you know they're right outside the door yeah, you try and, doing that again in uh october november and you're gonna have a different yeah. <laughs> different outcome that's another thing you know hunting on that property, which I don't know when the last time it was hunted, but um, probably early 2000s or later. Yeah, but those deer are getting hunted in general. Yeah. They're encountering hunters. But they might see where I am as kind of a safe haven. So, yeah. Because people haven't been there. There's two large fields there, and I think they you know, see that as once they get to that property that they're secure, they're, they're in the clear. Mm-hmm. So... Hopefully I can change that. But <laughs> well, you'll get one shot. There's no doubt. <laughs> yeah, and just see how that dynamic changes. You know? That's how you educate them. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, um, or how are you going to, you have alluded a little bit, but how are you going to approach hunting um, with your um, your skill set from work, um, your biological knowledge, ecological knowledge? Is that um, Do you think that's going to change You know how you would have, seen things done things will do things as to um maybe if you know pre-college if you pick this up yeah so that yeah, that's another interesting thing is that you know i obviously wasn't raised a hunter but um i'm getting into hunting now that i after college i have a bachelor's degree in forest biology um i'm an arborist i work at cfa here um so all these things are kind of pushing me towards the direction of, of hunting deer. Um, so I think a lot about habitat because that's what we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see what keeps uh, the deer coming in and, and what they're feeding on. But, um, yeah, so it's for me that hunting is about uh, kind of making sure that there's future deer in that area and they get what they, what they need. So that's also a motivation is um, doing things in the woods to, to help them out, um, opening up more nut trees, bringing in more sunlight, um, taking care of the apple trees that are on the property, all of these things that I, you know, I can share with them um, and then take uh, from the land um, what I need. So it's not just about take, it's about giving back. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, t- it's taking care of that resource and that's why I think of it. I think of it as, as a resource. Any one particular deer, I don't feel any kind of attachment to or sentimentality about around. My wife does. But uh, for me, no, I, I just see, you know, it's. I think about the population. I think about the group, the herd, and yeah. how healthy that is. So that's what I bring to it. Um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, managers of the ecological world, as well as hunters, I think, think very much alike in those types of senses. Um, you know, I get permissions on some properties to hunt. 
they're they're happy to have me hunt, but they just say no, you know, don't hunt near the house, and I don't want you to shoot the deer that are that I see every day, and hmm. whatever, you know, I'll go up fifty, you know, on your fifty acres, I'm I'm gonna shoot the same deer. <laughs> it leaves your house and goes up on that hill, but people seem to have this disconnect of, you know, the woods is away and the forest is is there and I'm here and what's around me here is is mine and uh, in my area and mm. and that's all there is to it they don't a lot of people don't understand the full cycles and and you know what's actually going on in the woods and, and deer are not static on the landscape nor are they equally distributed mm. um they meander and move seasonally daily um and um they're finite but they're abundant mm-hmm. yeah but i mean for me that doesn't mean I, I don't care about their, their welfare. Um, for me, and this we learned this in the, in the hunting course, is that you, you practice, practice, practice. So when you do make that shot, um, you're, not, uh, you're not kind of making the deer suffer. You want to get that, that uh, vital organ, and you want the deer to expire quickly and without much pain. So in that sense, it's, it's a weird balance that... Um, you know, I, I understand why people struggle understanding why, you know, you, you might care about how much an individual deer is, is suffering during your kill, but you don't care about it in terms of the ecological perspective of the woods, of the forest system. So um, I think it's an, it's an interesting dynamic, dynamic, and I think there are two kind of spheres that can, you know, uh, exist together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't want any deer to suffer. I don't want it to starve either. Um, well, let me tell you, and a lot of people don't think about this. Hopefully some do. But, um, you know, the death that that deer is going to have in the natural world is far more gruesome, far more drawn out, far more painful, far worse um, than a hunter is going to ever inflict. Yeah. Um I have just, I didn't tell you, um, three weeks ago on the way to work, um, going around the reservoir, a doe crosses in front of me, and I slow down, almost have to stop. And right away I can see that it is just the whole back end and its udder and its back hams are just eaten out. And she was looking backwards. Not at me, not at my truck. It was like she was looking through me and past me into the woods from where she came from at whatever was following her and about to finish her off because mm. she was about to be pinned next to the water's edge. That's what the, I assume, coyotes could have been a bear. I don't know. Something was about to have its, have its meal. And, I mean, that's that's life. It wasn't going to be quick. It was not going to be. It already hasn't been quick. Yeah. You can tell. it's it, There was enough damage for some feeding to have occurred, and she was still upright walking and moving away and imagine i mean that is just that's just how it happens i mean that's the truth of it sorry to say it but um i follow this page that i think everybody in america and everybody in the world should follow (laughs) it's on the instagram um feed uh nature is metal and that is the only pictures they show and they aren't doing it to you know you know bastardize anybody or or fetishize you know what's happening but it's just a you know, promote the realism of, of the, what's happening in the, nature. Yeah, stories that people don't like to tell. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, I, it comes back to that, like, Hobbesian quote, uh, the state of nature is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. So I think a hunter, uh, there's a nobility in a hunter kind of uh, taking out some of the uh, factors there and making it a noble death, a quick death, mm. one that doesn't suffer a lot. Because either I'm going to eat that deer, I'm going to go to the store and, and buy a hamburger or something. You know, I, I think that there's better ways to get um, delicious food on this earth, and I think there's a dignity in kind of working for it. You know, it's a privilege to be able to eat meat. Um, you have to work for it, though, I think. Yeah. So I'm trying to move more in that direction. Well, we're going to get back into Zane's uh, venture here on, on how he's becoming a hunter, a future hunter here in the Catskill Mountains on from the forest uh, right after this. One, two, three.
the blues away This is From the Forest on WIOX Community Radio. Every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m., we talk about a different forest-related topic. Tonight, the show is Mindset of an Emergent Hunter. we got Zane Lawyer here, community member who just picked up a bow. He's wild and crazy. Watch out. No, just kidding. He's um, you know an ethical-minded hunter, future hunter. Um, this will be his first season. So we're picking his brain, asking him some questions about what got him started, how he got into it. But now let's talk about... What do you actually have to do to get to this point? Where are you at, and you yeah. know, to be a, to wear the badge of I'm a hunter? Yeah, the first thing I had to do was take my hunter safety course. Um, signed up for that online. I I wanted to do the in person, so um, I had to wait to uh, take it and had to drive pretty far. Um, but yeah, I wanted to go to a, a gun club and uh, meet the people there and, and take it. And I also had to take a bow hunter safety training course two different days yep uh probably about two months apart um but uh yeah i mean the the hunter safety training course you 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 get your manual and you have to read through that and you have to fill out your little uh uh test at the end you hand that in then you take another test at the end of the the course but you learn how to uh uh safely handle a rifle um i fired a rifle and fired a i think a 12 gauge shotgun and uh never done that before never fired a firearm and but i'm surprised at how quickly i pick up some of those things oh, yeah? i don't know um just the intuitiveness of it especially for bow hunting i tried a recurved uh bow that another uh, student had and um from an icon bow you can look right down the sights and aim pretty dead on at 10 or 20 yards but this one you can't really look down the shaft of the arrow you kind of have to you're at a, kind of a parallax so i took two shots and missed then the third shot i got it and i adjusted myself and um i got it on target so then the sec the fourth one after that i got on target too so um just small adjustments and, and learning from every shot that you take i was surprised at how quickly um you pick those things up so what were your thoughts and impressions of the courses overall? Worth it? I mean, obviously you have to take them. Right, right. Um, I thought the, the manual that you're provided is invaluable. I think that's a really great, broad start to just thinking about hunting, all the different uh, factors you have to consider. Um, uh, first aid, um, tracking your hunt, safety considerations, getting up and out of the deer stand, um, firearm safety, all that stuff. I think it's a great primer on that stuff the course itself was uh, it was interesting i i took it there was a you know, small handful of people there mostly younger kids there were some uh, other adults there that uh were were first-time hunters as well so getting to know those people and just uh asking questions of the of the senior members of the club and and trying to understand their knowledge and their experiences and um their their wisdom really that was really helpful too so i think it was worth going to it in person yeah yeah because there's an online version now right yeah there is an online version and i just don't 
I, don't know, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I would say if you can, you know, sometimes it could be a far drive, but I think it's worth it to spend the whole day there. And um, it's not as long as you think, and it moves quicker than you think it does. And uh, but it's an opportunity to, to talk with hunters and you know in real time and ask them questions um, that you can't really find the answer to online, you know. Or questions just about the region, the area, mm-hmm. uh, what deer have been like historically and, and how they are now. Um, changes in the law as well and why those changes occurred. So, Did um, they invite a environmental conservation officer to the course? Yep. Same guy came in, bo- in both of them. So um, he was pretty helpful. Um, understanding his job, his role, and how he can be your best friend or be your <laughs> worst nightmare. <laughs> Um, some of his yeah some of his stories but it's you know you read these manuals you read the law and you're like oh my god you know you're so afraid to step outside your house or do anything but you understand if you're honest and you know you're honest up front and you you know make a call see if you made a mistake or if you don't know and you call just to make sure beforehand um there's some wiggle room there Hmm. and there's not it's not as constraining as it seems because um, everyone's tr- just trying to do their best and trying to follow the law and trying to be ethical, and um, the uh, officers understand that. So yeah, they're doing their job too. Yeah. Um, okay, so you got your hunter safety card. Um, after that, on to buying a license. Yep, I went to I got my bow, um, and then I went to an outfitter's to get it sized, and I bought my licensing. Uh, licenses there in my all my tags as well okay how did you find navigating that um that mess <laughs> well i got the it's complicated no? yeah new york hunting and trapping official guide laws and regulations for 2023 so i was flipping through that after my courses and um i don't know, kind of a, some of uh some of it is a little confusing there is a lot to read and i'm sure it's all there but um i think being concise is also a really good uh a way to convey uh information but um so getting my my tags i i and the lottery system is its own i mean the way the guy was explaining to me at the counter uh a lot of the information shot past me i just didn't retain you know how the lottery system worked but i knew i had to pick a, a wildlife management unit to hunt in um and uh only for that lottery day yeah yeah so yeah, that's something you uh, talked to me about, and it seemed like you might have been confused, thinking that you might be constrained to just one area. But Correct. for your general license, those those three tags, the the firearms tag, the bow, uh, muzzleloader, antlerless, and either sex tag, those three, uh, that's anywhere in the state, the season's open. You can go anywhere at any time. And yeah, so that was so, my confusion. I thought I could only hunt in my management unit. Right, that extra tag you got was for a specific management unit mm. and you have to be confined to that area to use it right so that's clear now. that was that lottery system you applied for was that yeah. special tag so yeah you walked out of there with the ability to harvest four deer a bear and two turkeys yeah and small game yeah i got turkey tag too so two turkeys well so I, one for the fall but yep, two, one for, fall, two for the spring and yeah i believe two for the spring um but yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of turkeys around the property as well, um, so I don't see. I just took that one as well. So, do you uh, anything else stick out to you that was just like whoa? 
you know, this is tough or I don't understand or not not really. Nothing I was totally like, you know, disappointed. Oh, you can't do that or oh this this or that. I wasn't bummed about it. Because it was just so new to me. Yeah. Anything uh, that surprised you flipping through that regulations guide? Like, holy cow, you can you can shoot uh carp from an from a boat in the water with my bow from August fifteenth to from May fifteenth to August fifteenth. Yeah, I saw that you can I can yeah. gig frogs with a spear. Things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like uh bow hunting with fish with a I don't know what it's called, when you have like a line attached to it. I think that was pretty cool. Yeah. To be able to do that. Um yeah, it just opens up this whole new world for you where you're seeing how people have live, but it's um it's interesting to me just how widely things were managed and the the extension of that. And I I think a lot now about, you know, where did that come from? Like these laws weren't always around. You didn't always have deer tags. So like when was this system implemented? How did people feel about it when it first came out? Those are kind of interesting questions for me. Did they hate it? Did they uh resist it? Was I'm sure there was some of that. Scuff laws. But at the same time it was implemented at a time when deer populations were quite low mm. to the point where if someone saw a deer it made the local newspaper yeah so to put a restriction on that one there's only one deer in the whole town and to put a restriction on that Don't one deer, that deer. <laughs> i think a lot of people may have understood i wasn't there um i've read a little bit about it but yeah there was some some gripe um but for the most part it was understood and of that era you know there was uh, there was these different eras of hunters it seems like and um a lot of you know 1920s 30s 40s hunters were small game hunters because that's mm-hmm. what they had in abundance there was farms everywhere great habitat for for rabbits yeah uh, a lot of people took advantage of that bird hunters you know look you look at uh, the lineages and the history of some of these bird dogs um out there and the diversity and the bloodlines and the lineages that have famously brought us these these beautiful bird dogs came from those eras. Uh, people were bird hunting. That's what the habitat provided. Um, you look at the what firearms were made and what firearms were marketed and, and given to hunters and sold to hunters. There was a whole era of what they called brush guns. Well, that was the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s when, uh, you know, these farms are being abandoned and the habitat was thick. Deer were coming back in mm. large numbers. And uh, some of these guns were shooting, like, huge, huge loads of lead, 250 grains, which is, I mean, is double what I'm shooting today. Because you're shooting double. through vegetation. Mm-hmm. Right. And then now a lot of what's marketed to hunters is more precision, some longer range and um accurate firearms and bullet weights dropped i think my my rifle shooting 139 grains ha- almost half of what those brush guns were um totally different type and style of cartridge so you just look at what people have adapted from to and towards and over time it tells you a lot about you know the history of wildlife yeah it's interesting to like i don't know what you just brought the whole audience through that the whole history there but it's to, to see it as kind of a shifting evolution from bottom-up hunters in the environment and top-down and, and what's legally allowed and, and what you can do and what you can't do. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's... I mean, we're amongst the shift right now of bear hunters. 
there's mm-hmm. a whole culture of barrel hunters uh, being brought in right now. And who knows, maybe my kids won't even give a darn about deer. They may become bear hunters. Fine, great. <laughs> That's cool. Um, I'm becoming that way, too. Um, I've in my Who was bringing me up was not interested in pursuing a bear. If a bear crossed our paths, sure. That, you know... That's a bonus. But um, the pursuit of one, absolutely not. We're going to go hunt deer today. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, New York State has a an early bear season given to hunters now, which didn't exist 10 years ago. I think it's in its fifth or sixth year now. And, um, you know, it's, it's producing a culture of bear hunting. And mm-hmm. uh, there's tons of bears out there. And maybe I'll transition myself. I don't know. I shot one a couple of years ago and... It was great. <laughs> First ever bear? First ever, and I, I've passed up many before that. <laughs> and it taught me I'm not passing another one. Under the right circumstances. You know, I'm not pulling a 500-pound bear out of a, you know, rocky terrain. We'll see about that. But, um, you know, under normal conditions, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that appeals to me. I think that'd be interesting. I, I remember I was doing some bushwhacking, uh, and I came out to this big cherry tree and at the base of the cherry tree there was all this bear scat yeah and i imagine the bears were climbing right up that tree. in the last two weeks oh this was last month oh yeah it was yeah. an early one i noticed in the last two weeks all the bear scat went to cherry yeah yeah the cherries have been really good this year yeah really cool um and uh i look around where that tree is there's all these ledgy rocks all these nooks and crannies where i imagine a bear would would, would be in um, it just, you know, it all came together. There's a story that, okay, there's bears here. Where are they? Um, what are they doing? And those are kind of the first questions you ask if you want to hunt them, I imagine. Yeah. Um, and New York State's a tough state to hunt bears in. Not very lenient towards, um, you know, bear hunting. Uh, we're very liberal in the season. Plenty of opportunity, but um, not easily targeted. Uh, meaning we can't hunt with hounds like other states. Mm. Uh, we can't bait like other states. Um, and there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of ethical questions on both sides uh, to talk about. That's a different show, though. Um, Zane, we got about 15 minutes left. We're talking to Zane. He's an emergent hunter here in New York State in the Catskill Mountains. What are your biggest apprehensions, anxieties uh, moving forward? Season is out, nipping at our toes. We got about a month left, October 1st. Yeah. So I think as I, of September first, Friday, squirrel opens. You can shoot a squirrel with your bow on Friday. I dig doesn't, it doesn't that excite you? <laughs> I may not with my bow, but yeah, we'll see. Get the pellet gun out. Um, apprehensions, anxieties. Um, I think I'm all pretty much all set. Um, I know as a bow hunter with my tags, I got off three months to get a deer. I think that's pretty good amount of time you say you're all set but mike tyson said it right everybody has a plan <laughs> until they get punched in the face until they get punched in the until mouth. It, and, <laughs> until that deer is standing in front of you at 18 yards and your knees are shaking and your arms are twitching hey, yeah and you're too nervous to pull your bow back that's when you're hooked you i bet you learn a lot about your body your nervous system absolutely especially when you're sitting there and then all of a sudden things change you got to take action um i i'm not apprehensive about that where i'm hunting is on private land i'm actually one of my biggest apprehensions is hunting on public land i'm just worried about maybe other hunters yeah how being, so? being seen um at a safety standpoint or as a safety uh, standpoint but also just the uh, uh 
you know, not ruining their hunt. I don't want to step in their areas and, you know, walk through, oh, I didn't see you there. Now I've, you know, Let me settle your apprehension about safety. If you got shot with an arrow while bow hunting, you were murdered. There's no excuses. It's impossible to be. You have to be within 20 yards of somebody. Mm. And tell me you can't identify a person at 20 yards. Come on. You got, you got, someone's after you. (laughs) So anyway, um, I wouldn't worry anything about safety. But yeah, yeah. Well, what about rifle, rifle season? No, I mean, it's, it's. Time and time, the New York State posts yearly posts their accident reports, mm-hmm. HSRIs, hunter-shooter-related incidents. Um, the five-year average is something like one to three, and in the last two seasons or two seasons in the last five, there was zero. Um, of those couple fatalities, it's almost always normally uh, self-inflicted accidents. Mm-hmm. Um, someone wasn't following the basic safety of, of handling a firearm. A Dick Cheney situation. Or, or yeah, or, you know, something along those lines. Something that was 100% preventable. Yes, and it's sad. Every now and then you do hear of one that was, uh, you know, but oftentimes it's party on party. Very rarely is it, you know, someone like you who is solo versus, you know, and then someone else solo. Uh, I don't know why that is, but um, that's that's the reality of it. It's a safe, safe thing. Um, it is on par or actually slightly better as far as injury and, and fatality rate as billiards. Just so you know. <laughs> just, just saying. If you're well, not where, apprehensive. Where did you get that from? I saw a study not long ago. Um, Jesus. And, yeah, so if you're, if you're comfortable with picking up a pool stick in a bar and, and not worrying for your life, you should feel similar to hunting. All right. Just so you know. <laughs> All right. I think that, yeah, that'll come with time. But the other concern is, yes, yeah, is spoiling the hunt of That's other, gonna other hunters. That's going to happen. But as also expected on public land, yeah. there's things to do to avoid other people. You know, if there's three trucks parked at a area that you yeah. know is only yeah, maybe, maybe 200 <laughs> acres, maybe you should have drive a little further down the road. Right. Um, but, you know... That's part of hunting, you know. Hmm. It's part of the expectation. And hey, new guy here. Yep. Just announce yourself. Make sure you break a lot of sticks and uh, <laughs> yeah. walk in with the wind at your back. A and they'll co- lo- have a podcast going. Those guys will love you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. So no, I th- I think it's it, you know it's an experience, and I think it's one that um, I'm looking to soak a lot of meaning from, and um, it's a you know it's a lifestyle. Uh, we're talking beforehand that, you know, we love these discussions, these philosophical discussions about hunting, about uh, force management. I think they're great. Um, I think there's just more data and, that I get to have and experience to draw on when I when I think about these issues. And so I never stop thinking about them. There's always assumptions to be upended and new things to learn. And um, so it's just another way to uh, understand the world. So, you know, as you delved in, did you have any type of mentor to follow or even, you know, in person or social media following or hunting media company, something that kind of steered you that you were paying attention to? 
Uh, I've started listening to the Meat Eater podcast. Yeah, Steve, Steve Rinella. Yeah, I listen. I to heard that. you talk about him, so I flipped through there certain episodes and just listened to one on uh, CWD. So that's another thing I'm thinking about. But um, I think his attitude is is a really good attitude. I think that's what's made him such a magnetic figure in the hunting community because he's not brash. He's not, you know, hyper masculine. He's just a good old guy who, who wants to do good and, and feed his family and but take care of the the resource um you can really get that in, in his podcast and his writing um i just think it's just a great attitude about it um so okay but he's still willing to have those head-on-head uh debates with people about the ethics of hunting uh eating meat versus not eating meat um so i don't know if that's your uh take away from him but i know i agree he's, he's very well spoken there's no doubt um that's why he's got you know one of the larger podcasts and one of the larger media companies in the hunting community there's no doubt um okay well now that you're um you know one of the good old boys right what are some of the um you know egotistic things that you may have um been weary of before maybe you have a better understanding now or something that you've uh, now confirmed and are looking to avoid in yourself as you, you just, know, become oh, a about, Oh, I see. Stereotypes, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm not one to, I don't know. I mean, you want to be excited about your hunt, but I do want to, you know, respect the animal as an animal. I don't want to, I don't know, see it as just like an object in the world that is a means to my end. Um, I want to see it as an end in itself, but it's also a means to an end because at the end of the day, I wanted to bring it into my kitchen and make a nice roast out of it. So it's something that, I don't know, I, th I think it's just fertile ground to think about more and, and try and uh, define myself, um, if that makes sense. But I don't know, maybe I can't answer that question yet. Hmm. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, you know, maybe I'll have another podcast postseason and... Yeah, talk to you about your experience and or like how, what, how you feel now. Yeah, or like what you know. When can I call myself a hunter? I don't know. If you fish once, are you a fisherman? Yeah, yeah. I was Some, with with the guys on uh, uh, I don't know Alaskan crab catch. You know, we're out in the boat all day. I, I think mean, there's a spectrum of different. Of, yeah, of you know where you make your living from. But sure. Yeah. If you hunted, you're a hunter. If you pursued, but you didn't get anything, or you're a hunter, and yeah, it's like. Um, there's a, I just found out recently there's a little qualm in the bird watching community of how you if you how you call yourself if you're a bird watcher you're of one sort and if you consider yourself a birder you're of another sort and the birder comes with um you know taking an adjective and making it a verb now I it, bird. I bird. It's more of aggressive. It's more of the chest pumping. It comes with mm. the egotistic. They're the ones that have the life lists that need to be larger than longer lists of birds than anybody else. They're competing for it. And is it about the birds anymore? Exactly. So I think there's some um some some aspect of that in hunting and I think that's getting mixed in in a poor way, but um to answer your question, you're a hunter. Yeah, these are the different areas, I guess. Um and uh yeah i i don't know you want to have you want to be proud of what you did so there is a little bit of ego there but sure. yeah, you don't want to um 
You don't want to play with your food too much, I guess. Nobody likes to see that. <laughs> Zane, I got uh, about a minute left for you. Um, if you can define right now, what would you consider this season a success in your mind? Uh, what type of outcome would you would you predict? Yeah, I would. Uh, what I would be a success would if, if I was to get two deer, uh, one doe. The other one could be a doe or a buck. I'd be happy with either one. I think you uh, you are asking a lot. Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a big ask for any hunter. I mean, it depends on the time you have. You know, we've had podcasts before that we've broken down. You know, time per harvest. It's something like right. forty hours on average. Um, that's for someone. I'm not saying you don't know what you're doing, but you know, you got you got a learning curve ahead of you. Sure, um, fully expected. Yeah. And um, it can be done absolutely. So. Um, and a turkey, maybe. And a turkey. All right. I, I or hope, two turkeys. I hope you do it. I think you're going to find success the, just, you know, the fact that you did it, that you went out and maybe even had an, an encounter that could have happened, but it didn't. I think you've, you'll learn that that's yeah, a success. Yeah, I don't expect it being a net negative at all. Like I was saying, the force is going to give me so much information. I think that would be worth the time spent. So. Great. Well, Zane, uh, this is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. We talk about a different forest-related topic. We've been talking to Zane Lawyer of, uh, well, local community member here, but also uh, Education Arborist of the Catskill Forest Association. Mindset of an emergent hunter. He's officially got um, adult-onset hunting Just disorder. Diagnosed. <laughs> diagnosed. I diagnosed him here today. Um, Great episode. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, maybe we can do this show again in the fall or in the in the winter. We'll see. Post fall and TBD. See what you learned. All right, man. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks. From the forest, up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him, as upon his cot he lay, and he wondered how it happened that he didn't up this way Getting lost like a fool In the forest And as he lay there sleeping A vision did appear Upon his mantle shining The face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime Of a long forgotten year his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games in an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town where the river runs down from the forest Come home.